Welcome to Almost Professional, a pre-professional podcast. This is part one of my interview with Brendan Rose, an academic advisor at TAS, who has a Master's of Fine Arts and MFA from Columbia University. Hello. So I have talking with me today, Brendan Rose, someone else named Brendan, all very highly qualified, right? <laughs> very, Try very, exactly the various Brendans you're running to. So Brendan, tell me what you currently do. So I am um, an academic advisor mm-hmm. in the College of Arts and Science. Mm-hmm. Um, Brendan Sullivan is one of my <laughs> wonderful colleagues. Yeah. Um, I work. Uh, all this. All the advisors in CAS are part of different teams, and I'm a part of the diversity and international team. And mm-hmm. specifically, I work with international students, and I am a liaison for sort of keeping up with what's going on on campus with global opportunities as well. Study abroad. Study mm-hmm. away. Um, so that's what I do, but mainly I serve the very large and dynamic international student <laughs> population in CAS, Great. and then do general academic advising. Wonderful. So, um, of course, the topic of this podcast is learning more about people who have gone to different kinds of master's programs, but haven't necessarily gone into the exact career path that maybe intuitively or the expectation might be matches up with a particular master's degree. I guess we'll get to that in more detail later on, but to start, what is your master's degree? So, my master's degree is an MFA, which is a master's of fine arts mm-hmm. in film, mm-hmm. which was the specialization. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, or is, a terminal degree in the arts, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, most universities do not treat it in the same way that <laughs> some other terminal degrees, like uh-huh. doctorates, are treated, which I can get to that later. Sure, um, but that was my degree. I did it some years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Where? At Columbia University. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they have a school of the arts. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a part of the film division. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and as you say, there's lots of different things we can get to, not just your experience in graduate school, but also afterwards and maybe the, I don't know, I guess the professional realities of having something which is a terminal degree, but right. has maybe a different standing as compared to other degrees, like a a JD or something like that. Sure. Um, but I do kind of want to start a little bit earlier and I guess see how much you, I don't know, remember, not that, I mean, not that the word's so far away from it, but still, remember about the period of time where you weren't even already a master's student, but kind of thinking about going to master's, a master's yeah. degree program. Like, for example, in undergrad, which is, I guess is where I want to start, do you remember thinking about getting a master's degree in undergrad? Like, where was that part of your thought process? Yeah, I think I think I was, from the beginning of undergrad... Focused on the future, but mm-hmm. very confused about the future. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't I wasn't a student who really only focused on the present and didn't really think about kind of where it would lead. I think mm-hmm. I was very, or maybe even too focused on kind of <laughs> what possible outcomes could be mm-hmm. um, after graduating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I didn't think of a master's of fine arts um, until a couple years into to college. Mm-hmm. I was a philosophy major. And um, right off the bat, kind of mm-hmm. knew that was a good major for me. But mm-hmm. at the time, when I was a freshman, first-year student, even a sophomore, kind of thought I would either do law school mm-hmm. or potentially try to do a Ph.D. in philosophy. Mm-hmm. And academic philosophy is a very mm-hmm. intense and rigorous thing. I respect mm-hmm. anyone that chooses to do it. Um, over time, I realized that wasn't going to be the best mm-hmm. fit for me. And I think part of what coincided with figuring that out was also realizing that I had very strong interests in the arts, mm-hmm. uh, literature, um, film, um, being creative just in general. Mm-hmm. And I think that there was something about academic philosophy, at least as it's sort of uh, conceived in the U.S., that didn't mm-hmm. really fit with some of the things that I was learning that I really cared about. 
like the, the practice itself didn't feel like a creative pursuit in the way that other maybe other PhD programs, other academic right. fields potentially could, and even more specifically as like actual literature and film productions. Yes, film. that's a very good way to put it. Um, I would say that by the end of college, if I were at that point to think about mm-hmm. doctorates, it would have been in language and literature programs, mm-hmm. comparative literature, because mm-hmm. there seemed to be a little bit more latitude to, you know, look at the arts mm-hmm. and uh, certainly have to write like a scholar and mm-hmm. research like a scholar, but also kind of engage. Um, with creative work a bit mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Um, and academic philosophy, again, um, the analytic tradition as it's kind of mm-hmm. uh, taught in the States just was going to be something much different that sure. was maybe more similar to law school. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, yeah, I think basically in undergrad, I became much more engaged with uh, various art forms. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line and realized that I was going to be happiest if I kind of went further in that direction mm-hmm. um, and I became particularly particularly interested in film as a medium that kind of you know engages various senses sound is important image is important text is important you know social kind of interactions by working with actors is important and that was all exciting to me mm-hmm. and um, it was too late in my undergrad career to really switch majors but I started to talk to people because my college had a film program, so mm-hmm. I could talk to people that were actually aspiring to get into into the field and um, talk to some professors about sort of what one would do if they wanted to potentially eventually be competitive for mm-hmm. grad school in the field. And people said, look, you need to take more classes that are directly creative mm-hmm. and um, ideally also get film production experience. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't focus on that as much, mm-hmm. but... I took an acting course, I took some creative writing courses, I took a couple film studies courses that were, you know, looking at film as a kind of, you know, looking at film critically and scholarly, not mm-hmm. creating films, but it was still, I guess, my first foray into looking at mm-hmm. film as an art form and trying to understand how films are constructed and mm-hmm. how great filmmakers make the work that they make. Um, and so those were some of the things I did to sort of uh, try to use this other muscle that I had maybe not engaged with uh, quite as much. Do you remember, and obviously there's not probably a specific moment, but you described the kind of turning point where you became increasingly involved in getting creative pursuits. Can you kind of think of one experience where you felt that coalesced for you during college? Or was it something that you kind of brought with you throughout college and just realized more the negative that philosophy wasn't the place you wanted to pursue that? Um, great question. I think it was, I think the answer is twofold. Mm -hmm. I think on one hand, what I realized with philosophy was that the philosophical texts I enjoyed the most were ones that were more loose creatively. So Mm -hmm. the dialogues of Plato are very different than an analytic philosophy paper um, Mm -hmm. in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, or in my case, it was still the end of the 20th century when I was in school. (laughs) Um, not yet 21st, which is afraid all the email would stop. And That's right. Shut down, right? Y2K. <laughs> Y2K we were felt very, very focused on it Y2K. felt very, very real. Philosophical discussion point um, <laughs> at that time. Um, Nietzsche wrote in a very kind of uh, creative way, and that was engaging to me or Kierkegaard. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was I was less interested in people that wrote in a more conventional, logical... Yeah. So kind of like more of a continental approach. Yeah, more continental approach, um, which I think a lot of the continental philosophers, especially in the 20th century, also were people that delved into art mm-hmm. um, and, and literature. So that was one side of it. On the other hand, I think me and 
myself and some of my friends just started watching a lot of films. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a pretty creative crowd from high school, and I was a theater geek in high school. (laughs) And so it was, you know, we watched films and we uh, enjoyed very uh, unconventional films in high school. Mm -hmm. But I think I was also like a kid who was interested in sports. And Mm -hmm. so it wasn't really until I was in college that I took film more seriously. Mm even though that exposure had been there before. And, um, yeah, just watching some of the sort of classic mm-hmm. 1970s films, Taxi Driver and mm-hmm. um, Apocalypse Now, The Conversation, um, things that I hadn't really seen as much in high school made me realize that film could do something differently than what the conventional Hollywood film would do. Mm-hmm. And there was something about that that was very exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Um and I think around the same time, I started to read more fiction. Mm-hmm. I had never been a big fiction person hmm. uh, in my early adolescence, mm-hmm. which is something I lament at this yeah. point. Um, and I sort of, I think around age 18, 19, rediscovered a love of reading mm-hmm. fiction. And so um, watching films that were more complex and more mm-hmm. um, kind of artistically rendered uh made me realize that film could do some of the same profound things that a great work of literature did mm-hmm. in a different way because it's a different yeah. medium. So well, right around then. And while it's, it sounds too, I mean, if you describe some of the kind of coursework you took as you became more interested in film, you were giving yourself, like, I guess, a, an, an academic structure, right? Like you're, you're trying, describing, yeah. kind of discovering yeah. canonical works of, let's say, like 1970s film. Right. And part of that might have been because you, in college, had this ability to look at it through the lens of, like, a cinema studies class or right, talking right. to people who had studied it in a more academically focused way and giving you this lens onto a world that wasn't just, you know, like, watching movies with your friends, but something which was more structured, I guess. Yeah, and I, and I think for me that structure was really helpful because mm-hmm. um, I enjoyed college. I enjoyed college classes. To me, it was a fun way to look at a particular topic you mm-hmm. had interest in. So it was good to sort of discover film through that way. Um, I studied abroad in Rome when I was an undergrad, Mm -hmm. which was great for me because I had never been abroad before. And like many people will say, very life-changing experience. Mm -hmm. But I took um, an Italian-American film studies course, which Mm -hmm. was funny because it wasn't like directly Italian film. It wasn't watching Fellini and um, uh, Antonioni and people like that. Uh, It was looking at Martin Scorsese, looking at Abel Ferrara, looking at Francis Mm -hmm. Ford Coppola, but by virtue of looking at those American directors, we also I also started to engage with um, kind of European art cinema, sure. for lack of a better term. Which I guess they're kind of you know, tributaries of that, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's exportation to That's America. right. That's right. Fellini, Antonioni, um, kind of second half of, of, of college, mm-hmm. I started to get really into mm-hmm. those directors from the 50s and 60s and 70s mm-hmm. who did sort of very pathbreaking work. Um and not just from Italy, but from a lot of places. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of where it started. So those were some of the things that I think drew me to film. Mm-hmm. What's funny, though, is I definitely didn't understand really how a film was made because I wasn't working on sets. Yeah. And yeah. I think what um, a person who's um, sort of coming from a more humanistic perspective may believe is that they look at film as a piece of art or a text and they talk about it, they think about it. Maybe they even write a film. <laughs> but making films is a completely technical medium. Yeah. And so it took me a long time to get to that point where I understood that. That wasn't really until I went to graduate school. Yeah. It was kind of like between like writing a book and like printing a book. Like the actual yeah. physical production yeah. of a book is something an author wouldn't have any idea how to do and is a much more different 
much different industrialized process, which that film kind of has those two things incorporated into it. Yeah, again, with novel writing, um, which is always like I dabble in fiction on the side, and that's something I like doing um, from time to time. The whole process of the creative work or output is the writing of the mm-hmm. text. And then, right, there's the production of a physical text if you're going to print it and make copies. Mm-hmm. In film, though, it's all rolled into one. And what I have learned over the years is that to be a great artistic filmmaker, you also have to be a technician mm. and be aware of how technical sort of considerations inform the making of a film. Mm. And that's something that, you know, has taken some time. And um, many people that go into film actually come from that perspective. The more technical perspective. The more technical perspective. Yeah. And in some ways, they're sort of in a better position mm-hmm. to begin with. Yeah. And actually related to that, you mentioned <clears throat> part of the, I guess, process of discovering your interest in film and, and maybe learning how that interest could be more of a career direction. You mentioned talking to some people who had either worked in film or had familiarity yeah. with film production, cinema studies, things like that. The reason why I ask this is because I have a lot of students who, for example, are majoring in some field English, right? Yeah. But then they really want to work in the end in film production, TV production, right. some kind of media related to that. And they feel that the best way to do that is to go directly into an undergraduate film or TV program. It sounds like that wasn't necessarily the whole advice, that, like, mm-hmm. the, or, the, or the whole, the, the best advice you were given. It sounds more, it was like, learn about film, but then find the practical experience outside of a particularly academic structure. I mean, is that fair, or was there yeah. an academic suggestion you were given, or coursework you were suggested to take to learn how to use film from that technical perspective? Good question. I think that... Um, I think that in some cases when I was getting advice from professionals, they were aware that I was already such and such number of credits along mm-hmm. in my undergraduate mm-hmm. career and understood mm-hmm. that I couldn't, you know, change majors. Um, so that maybe was part of the reason there was less focus on what you can do in the classroom mm-hmm. directly in film. But I also think that almost like what you hear with journalism, a lot of a lot of people who are now in film but who have a liberal arts background would say that it was nice that as undergrads they didn't study film from a technical standpoint and mm-hmm. instead, you know, focused on English literature, mm-hmm. focused on mm-hmm. psychology, focused yeah. on biology. There were a bunch of, like, lapsed engineers in my hmm. graduate film program. And so, on one hand, I think the advice was coming from just a realistic point of view of the fact that I was already far along in my major. But part of it was coming from a conception of like when it's appropriate to engage in this Mm. and some people i think would say that it's better to not focus one's energies as an undergraduate student on film production Mm. um i had a conversation when i was in college with a friend's father who i think was a producer on baywatch the television show Mm -hmm. um which evidently recently became a movie that's right Um, i was going to say i don't know if that's necessarily a relevant reference for our intended audience, but I guess it might be. Yeah, recently, (laughs) once again, but I guess, you know, not a very, uh, a a, a television show of um, debatable artistic merit, Mm -hmm. I guess would be a way to say it. But But I bet bet highly professional production. That's right. That's right. A lot of (laughs) slow-mo, a lot of uh, beautiful shots of the ocean, etc. But one of the things that this producer told me that was a surprise at the time is he said, take more poetry classes. Mm. And that was great. And so that was, again, this kind of sense of um, if you want to become an artist, um, if you want to become a filmmaker, engage with different art forms. Um, mm-hmm. They're all going to end up being useful, um, you know, within within um, the process of creating a great film. Mm-hmm. You know, filmmakers have to think as photographers. They have to think as 
novelists, they have to think sort of as musicians because of the sound element. They have to think as poets with editing. Um, these are all like kind of uh, maybe not great analogies, but there's truth to it. And mm-hmm. I think that's what he was saying. You know, he didn't yeah. say, oh, you need to stop studying philosophy and mm-hmm. change your major to uh, film producing. Yeah. You're kind of like developing a sensibility almost. That's right. That, that could then enrich whatever technical work you might do That's later right. on, or, or technical education you might receive yeah. later on. Did you have the opportunity to work in a kind of more, I guess, professional film environment while you were an undergrad? Good. Yeah, another good question. <laughs> I actually served as a location scout um, uh-huh. because my... Because you were at University of Chicago? Or? I was at Northwestern. Northwestern. And I grew up like 10 minutes away from the college, mm-hmm. which that's another conversation. <laughs> but. Sure. Um, one advantage was that everybody was like, you'd be a great location scout for mm-hmm. our production. And so I did work as a location scout for one undergraduate film that had gotten a grant and the director has gone on to actually make features. Wow. Um, and I did that for a couple months, but then I actually left to study abroad. So mm-hmm. I sort of didn't finish the job, which I was embarrassed about. <laughs> but I secured a couple locations, I think, like a diner or something. Uh-huh. So you'd like go there and just ask. They ask, can we film something here? Like, yeah. make sure it fit the specifications. Yeah, and talk to them for. about the story and try to present oneself in a professional way so that they would trust sort of that you would, you know, not burn the place down. Sure. Um, and so I did that, but I never actually worked on a film set, mm-hmm. which I think anybody who is interested in film as a career should work on film sets. Mm-hmm. I absolutely should have been working on student film sets mm-hmm. uh, at some point during my undergraduate career. Yeah. And uh, I didn't do that. And to, not to like compress your undergraduate career too much, but just to get a sense of what your timeline was, did you enter your master's program directly after undergrad? Was there a gap? Like what was that, what was that trajectory like? I I had a couple years, um, two years Mm -hmm. in between undergrad and, um, graduate school. I went, I, uh, I think the time in Italy kind of whet my appetite for more Mm -hmm. global experiences. And Mm -hmm. so... I went to Japan for a year on this uh, jet program, which allows, is through the Japanese government and brings um, foreigners to teach in the public school system, teach uh, generally English language. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did that for a year, got to live in Sendai, Japan, um, which was very amazing. And by working in a public school, I was a part of a community. Mm -hmm. Um, I was one of 45 teachers. I was the only non-Japanese national on that staff. Mm. Um, That was really exciting. I was even paid well and had vacation and probably should have stayed another year, but (laughs) I was homesick, I'll admit it. Um, So I did that for a year, and then I kind of came back very resolved to apply to film school. And I think the whole, that whole, you know, what seemed to be a very long year, even though looking back, it wasn't a very long year. Um, I was desperate, desperate to be a student again. Mm-hmm. And so I got back in that fall, I was working part time, literally living in my parents' basement and, uh, applied to a few film schools. Mm-hmm. And then that winter I moved to New York and, and tempt actually for, mm-hmm. uh, the duration of my time until school began. Okay. Yeah. And when you were going through that process of applying to a master's program, I guess, what were you doing to present yourself as a reasonable applicant to these programs, right? Like, I, do yeah, you feel yeah. like you were in a position where you were addressing and explaining your, your let's say, non-directly related background? What was the way in which you approached that kind of discrepancy between the master's and the undergraduate degree that you had done? Um, that's a very good question, and I think any person who's coming from a liberal arts education background, and especially in the humanities, who's maybe going to 
not just the humanities actually, but any liberal arts background who's going to then go into a practical arts degree really has to think about this. Mm -hmm. I tried to demonstrate that I was, that being very well read was um, one of my, I guess, things that I Mm -hmm. had worked on over the last number of years. And I think that was, I tried to make that evident in my personal statement and, um, Every school had different things they looked for, but in a couple cases they wanted, along with examples of actual creative work, they wanted sort of pieces of film criticism Mm -hmm. on films you'd seen or Mm -hmm. scenes, and I think I was able to kind of, in those pieces, try to bring bring out um, some of the things about my academic training um, and intellectual interests that Mm -hmm. maybe would be a benefit, Mm -hmm. and then creatively, I had to just come up with stories. Um, And so they were looking for like story samples or, or yeah in some cases they were looking for you know like a one page film treatment mm-hmm. which is really a summary of um of a feature film idea mm-hmm. in other cases they wanted a 15 page short film mm-hmm. um script in one case uh a school wanted um a four page rendering of a silent film mm-hmm. and that was actually the most difficult for me and I think it was partly like kind of translating the film into like a written form, like a yeah, like, like a, a script, just, yeah. a script, but of a, of a silent film. And that was really hard oh, for me because I was very uh, logocentric at yeah. that point in my life, you know. And so if I could get a couple characters talking to one another, I sure. could run with it. But to think in images was yeah, like really difficult for me. And so that was a school that I think I probably didn't have a great chance at. <laughs> and talking about schools, were you looking like in a particular geographic area or? Was it based on reputation? Like, what were some of the factors that helped you narrow down the schools you applied to? Um, I was very cognizant of wanting to be in particular cities. I mm-hmm. really wanted to be in New York, mm-hmm. uh, first and foremost. Um, I had wanted to be there most of college, but mm-hmm. just sort of, you know, had a good thing going, so didn't mm-hmm. try to transfer or anything like that. But I was, throughout my late teens and early 20s, just desperate to move to New York. Mm-hmm. I was also open to LA just because the film industry is sure. is there, and yeah. to this day I wrestle with not <laughs> being in LA. Um, but outside of those two cities, I I wasn't really open to other places, which mm-hmm. was maybe to my detriment. There's really great film schools in a lot of different parts of the country mm-hmm. where very accomplished film directors uh, hail from. Mm-hmm. But uh, I confined my search to these two cities. Um, and, and then I had to think about, like, okay, well, what schools are maybe appropriate for the type of film I'm interested in? Mm-hmm. So, for an, as an example, um, USC has a really famous uh, film program, mm-hmm. but it's considered sort of Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, like, always on, like, commercial directing. Yeah, commercial directing. And I'm sure that's not completely true. I'm mm-hmm. sure there's some really great artistically oriented aspiring filmmakers there, but that reputation for whatever reason made me decide not to apply there. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas NYU, Columbia, UCLA, which were the three schools I applied to, I think had a reputation uh, for doing some of that, but also kind of paying more attention to film, independent film, mm-hmm. low budget film, mm-hmm. art film, which again is a term that you can contest in a lot of ways. <laughs> sure. but, um, so those were schools that uh, were attractive to me for yeah. that reason. I also knew that I, as much as I respect experimental film, I wasn't looking to do experimental film. Mm-hmm. So some of the Art Institute style schools were not, uh, you know, to do the type yeah. of work Stan Brackage would do or something. That wasn't really up my alley. Yeah. Or I like went it. too far, not too far, that's Definitely. the wrong word to use, but right to the point of being an actual like visual art alongside painting or somewhere kind of in between the 
more purely commercial and the more purely fine art film. Precisely. Uh, yeah. Precisely. Uh, something where narrative was still a part of sure, yeah. one's approach to the actual story you were telling. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm curious, like you mentioned kind of having a sense of what the cultures, I guess, were at these different schools. Do you feel like you were gathering that from, like, word of mouth? You mentioned kind of USC having a reputation. Was it through people you knew who were working in film, who had gone to film graduate schools? I'm curious how you kind of got a sense of what these different programs were like. Uh, very good question. And I, I think looking back, I can kind of um, critique my own gathering of information uh-huh. because it, it mainly wasn't based on actually meeting with people. Mm-hmm. There was a bit of that. I spent um, one summer in L.A. when I was an undergrad, which was really useful to me. So I, I actually took a couple classes at UCLA because you didn't have to pay pay out-of-state tuition. Oh, wow. And so I got a sense of their film program by mm-hmm. being there. So UCLA, I sort of understood. Um, I think that was a school I had a lot of information about. USC, though, it was partly from a couple books that were published in the early mid-'90s mm-hmm. about film school. So those mm-hmm. were perhaps out of date by the time that I was applying in 2003, um, and then talking to a couple people in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the schools in New York, I mean, everybody knows NYU's film program. Some of my favorite directors yeah. uh, graduated from NYU's program. And then Columbia's, um, I knew a little bit less about, but I had heard good things from a couple people who were in film um, undergrad and uh, at Northwestern where I was and then also I happened to be in New York on a weekend in the fall when they had an applicant uh, kind of open house mm. and I went and was impressed with the people I met mm. and uh, was impressed with the type of approach they had to, to teaching film. Mm. And so you, you were at Columbia. That's where you I went to Columbia. Yeah. I, I should say I only got into Columbia oh. um, and I, I think it's a couple interesting points about that um, that are worth sharing. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is when I looked at these three programs, I kind of always knew that um, Columbia's program would probably be the best fit for me. Mm-hmm. They they were open to having more people who had um, less of a film background mm-hmm. but brought other things to the table, whatever those things were. And they, in the first year, made students do everything, producing, directing, writing, working with actors, uh, cinema studies, and that was good for me as someone that didn't have mm-hmm. a college degree in film. Um, NYU, you had to pick. You're applying as a director. You're applying as a screenwriter. Oh, I, I applied as a director. Really didn't have a portfolio. They wanted a <laughs> film. They yeah. wanted photographs. I cobbled together a bunch of very mediocre photographs. That was the school that had this um, uh, you know, silent film mm-hmm. script that you had to come up with. So I applied, but I wasn't a strong candidate based mm-hmm. on that program. UCLA, this is a story I still tell students, um, they were kind of a mix of the two schools. Uh And the way things worked there is they reviewed all their applicants and then they kind of did a first cut and then everybody else got an interview. I made that first round, was really excited. And uh, from what I understood, something like two-thirds of the people that made the first cut would go from interview to um, actually earn a spot in mm-hmm. the um, in the entering class and I had the worst interview of my <laughs> life and I won't go into that but it, it's an instructive experience in yeah. that when I left the hotel where it was right on Central Park mm-hmm. and I walked into Central Park afterwards and I lo- it was a beautiful day in the spring early spring and I realized I was like I'll never have an interview as bad as that 
I guess you can only go up from there, right? You can only go up from there. Um, And then I also had an interview at Columbia that went much better, Mm -hmm. and it was just a good fit, and luckily they took a chance and said yes, and Mm -hmm. so I was able to go to a school I was excited about in a city I wanted to be in. Good. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you, I guess you found out, and then you were in New York temping in advance of the start of the academic year, right? Yes. Yes. So... I guess I want to go through the graduate school experience in a few different ways. Sure. Um, I suppose the first thing I want to talk about is the kind of academic experience that you had, right? Like, yeah. obviously going to a liberal arts undergraduate program, I would assume that a more, I guess, professionally oriented graduate program, which is what an MFA would be, would differ in a lot of ways from the overall academic experience. I mean, what, what felt different or seemed different to you, maybe initially, but also over time as you got more used to the, the experience in the MFA program? Um, Very good question. There's a lot to say to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think off the bat, I realized I was in totally different water when Mm -hmm. before the traditional academic year began, we had a two-week crash course on film editing Mm -hmm. to learn basically software. Mm -hmm. And I'm so not a computer person. (laughs) And so that was a terrifying experience for me. Um, And I wasn't alone. There were some other people that were maybe also there more for their writing, mm-hmm. um, kind of what they could contribute as writers, and I think that's probably what they saw in me, um, who were equally terrified by looking at a film editing program and needing to learn all the different sort of shortcuts and mm-hmm. ways to use it. And so right off the bat, I knew that this was going to be foreign territory for me. On the other hand, because of the way that the program was structured, we did have these cinema studies courses. Mm-hmm which helped, and those were useful in sort of making someone like me feel like it wasn't as different from undergrad as Mm -hmm. maybe some of the other courses were. But, yeah, many of my classmates were very technically proficient, Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was was hard at first. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also I think just needing to learn to think visually Mm -hmm. was a challenge and maybe in some ways continues to be a challenge, but um, that was something that when I – first had directing classes, which were really exciting, and I learned an enormous amount in um, the actual assignments of having to go out and construct these little scenes. We would, on the weekend, be given short little scenes to do. Um, You know, one was, as an example, for whatever reason, every film school does this. Two people, the, the short little, you know, treatment of this scene starts with two individuals in a bed, and they wake up and it's the morning, and one has to try to sneak out of bed as if it was after a one-night stand. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, every film school student you talk to at any film school has been forced like to do this, and I still don't understand that. You could unpack that in a lot of ways. But um, <laughs> just having to think from the standpoint of, you know, what will the first shot be? What will mm-hmm. the second shot be? Almost like you're constructing a comic book was hard for me. Um, I had been someone that drew a lot as a kid, but I hadn't engaged in that Mm -hmm. in a while. And so it took a good number of months before I got comfortable really thinking about shots and visual storytelling. So that was another component that felt really different for me. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you were, was there anything you were doing, I don't know, in particular to help yourself make up for that difference in comfort or skill level with those more technical aspects of the program? Like, were you trying to do work outside of the class or, or reaching out to people for assistance or not? Like, was it something you worked at and you knew, I'll get this eventually and trust that you would get it and, and you did that? Um, yeah, I think there were a few ways to tackle it. Um, luckily, in the, the editing suites where students would work on their projects, mm-hmm. there were always a couple 
more advanced students that were paid to be there and troubleshoot, mm-hmm. and um, those students were always incredibly generous with their time mm-hmm. and would help you kind of through, you know, your hard drive freezing or not understanding how to do a dis- dissolve in between two shots in a cut. Um, and so editing-wise, it was really just talking to people and trial and error. Um, more generally, I think I started to try to take photographs from time to time as a means of thinking more visually, and then really just getting on film sets of other student uh, projects for their mm-hmm. classes and sitting there and holding a boom mic, but kind of watching how other students would work as directors or how other students would work behind the camera mm-hmm. and trying to sort of just take notes. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I didn't have the technical skills to be the camera person mm-hmm. necessarily, but I could be on set doing something else yeah. and watch. You could hold a microphone. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the easiest job on set outside of um, craft services. Sure. So I think those were a few of the ways that I tried to sort of um, yeah. engage more technically. Hmm. Interesting. What will happen to Brendan in his MFA program, and how will he find a job after he finishes this MFA? Find out all about this and more in part two of my interview with Brendan Rose.